Thank you, Lord. Thank you for another day. Thank you for your provision in it. Thank you that we're all here together, uh, uh, able to uh, to worship together, to praise your name. Uh, Lord, open our hearts as we hear from your word today. I believe you have something to say to us. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, a lot of times when you social media makes it so easy, you see it to see a headline and just jump on board and, and uh, just uh, just share it and, and get angry. It's real easy to get angry real quick, and uh, and especially if it if it kind of matches up with something we already think. Man, we just we we're on board. We're throwing our two cents in there and and passing it on, and. Uh, I saw something, well actually I didn't see it, my, my wife saw it, and then I kind of went and researched it, and I, I really hadn't been aware of it either, but if you're not, uh, if you're not a news junkie or, or kind of into the whole Christian scene, you may have, you may not have seen all of this go by this week, but I thought it made a, a perfect segue into today's message. So if, if, if you weren't aware of it, um, Alistair Bay got himself into some trouble. If you don't know who he is, he is a uh, well-known minister, used to have a program on AFR. Uh, I say used to because of what's happened. Um, <clears throat> uh, ministers out of Parkside Church. In fact, my, my wife's parents used to attend there. Um, you know, has a Scottish accent, fun to listen to. Uh, good teacher as far as I know. I never followed him very closely. Uh, but he got himself in some hot water uh, because there was an interview that he did uh, about his new book back in uh, last September. And in this interview, he disclosed that he counseled a grandmother uh, to go to her grandchild's transgender uh, uh, gay wedding in which one of the participants was a transgender. Now, he, 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 he suggested this as, as an act of love, as something that would, that would surprise them, that, that you would do. But he asked these two questions. In the interview, he, he, he mentioned the two questions that he asked. He said, does your grandson understand your belief in Jesus? And then he asked, does your grandson understand that your belief in Jesus makes it such that you can't countenance or in any way affirm the choices that he has made in life? And the answer to both of those questions were yes. And so his, his, his statement was, well, go and even bring a gift. Because we have already have that understanding. So what we heard there in that was not, he did not affirm transgenderism. He did not affirm gay marriage. He didn't say that was a lifestyle that we ought, that people ought to live. He didn't, he did not even say that we should, he didn't tell her that, that he, she must uh, affirm or approve of said, said lifestyle. Didn't say any of those things. He suggested that an act, that in acting in love and grace would would destroy 
the stereotypes, and I'm paraphrasing him a bit, but basically destroy the stereotypes that uh, often the, the people have of Christians and, and that it would preserve the relationship. Well, that interview eventually got out and, and, and started making waves. And the response, I suppose, is, is, is about what you'd expect, but the, the depth to which that response went was somewhat shocking. And if I had seen, when Linda first mentioned this, I went and looked and, and uh, did some internet searches. I said, before I even have an opinion on this, I need to know what he said. Uh, and, I, and, then, and also he, he gave a sermon uh, just this last Sunday, in which he explained and defended his position. And so I needed to hear both of those things for myself before I had an opinion. So I did that. Uh, because we, uh, you know, again, going back to that whole thing with, you know, you see, we see something, we just automatically assume. And I don't really know this guy. I mean, Linda listens to him a lot. Uh, I know he's well respected, but I don't really know what he teaches or what he believes. And it would have been really easy just to jump on the bandwagon. But I thought, no, you can't do that. You have to look and see. So I, I listened to the sermon, and in rely, he relied on Luke chapter 15, uh, which begins with the Pharisees being upset with Jesus because it was the people he was hanging out with, you know, the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes and such. Uh, and he responds with these parables. Uh, that we know from Luke chapter 15, the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son, all having this theme of going after that which is lost. And I won't go into that a little, I won't go into that in great detail. I'm not going to you know, re-preach the sermon. Uh, but he recommend, he also pointed out that we ought to share love to everyone, including even our enemies. And he stands by the advice that he gave. Now, is he right? Honestly, although I uh, I hesitate a bit to disagree with with someone with uh, with his stature and his standing, uh, but I don't agree, and I'll explain why. The and 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 to explain why, in part, I need to talk a little bit about my experiences with with weddings. Now, obviously, you know, my, the weddings that I'm aware, am talking about were, uh, traditional weddings, but cases where, uh, the people involved, particularly parents, might not have been real happy about it. Uh, and even my own first marriage, I, I know that I, I didn't know it at the time, but I knew my parents had concern. I found out my parents had concerns. And, and yet, when I asked him to do it, he did it. Why? To preserve the relationship. And because, you know, the other thing though, to point out about that is, well no, I'll make, let me, let me keep going, follow my notes here, I'm gonna get all messed up. But, uh, I've also seen it go the other way, where, uh, parents who disapproved, uh, either wouldn't come or even when they came, behaved in a way that made their disapproval apparent, and how, what a rift that created in the relationship and how long that rift took to heal. And I don't know for sure that it's healed even today, although although they're uh, they're on good terms. 
because those things, it is a big deal. Uh, and, and a wedding is a big deal. And if you're going to do that, you better have a good reason. Don't destroy the relationship over something that uh, in the end isn't going to matter that much. But there's a crucial difference in these situations. I can pretty well guarantee you if my she had been a he, uh, the results would not have been the same. Uh, uh, Dad wouldn't have done that. Why? Because it's in direct opposition to the Word of God. It's a willful, uh, is a willful act against God's design. And that is something entirely different than just not being in favor of, of two, two particular couple being together, not thinking maybe that's the best thing. So I would disagree. Uh, a wedding is a celebration uh, and a commitment for life. A wedding uh, is ordained by God, not necessarily the ceremony and all the parts and the way that we do it. It's been been, duff- been done differently uh, depending on your culture in different parts of the world. And if you read back in Genesis when uh, Isaac met Rebecca, I don't you know. There's probably a lot that happened that we weren't told, but basically it says they went in the tent and they were married. <laughs> So, uh, it, it, you know, there's different, different things, but back in Genesis at the, at the time of creation, uh, we're told that male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And then later on in chapter two, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. Marriage is ordained by God for the primary purpose of, of creation, of procreation. It's not a loving thing to do, friends, to, uh, to approve something that we know is going to destroy somebody's life. And so while I very much respect his position, I don't agree with it. Now, that's exactly my point, though. Thoughtful, devout people who love the Lord and who love his ways and who absolutely do not wish to do anything to promote sin, thoughtful people can disagree on something like this. And... Our response, frankly, as a Christian, as the, as the Christian community, as the evangelical, or even, uh, I, I think my wife saw a headline go by from, uh, from, from a Catholic organization too about how, how he ought to be disciplined. Uh, I don't feel like, well, well I'm not going to get into that. But I really think that we as, uh, as the church have behaved in an unchristian way in this situation. That uh, and just the slanderous, head, absolutely slanderous headlines that I saw just looking and searching on this on the internet uh, makes me sad. Makes me sad. Makes me a little angry. Uh, you know, they—he's uh, been dropped from AFR. They're not going to uh, run his programs anymore. The last, last that I heard, anyway, he was dropped from another major conference. And you know what? The world sees that, and they go, "Yeah, that's just what I thought. That's what they're like." And that's not what we're supposed to be like. 
Jesus said we're supposed to be none known. You know, of course we're supposed to love our enemy. We're supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to love our enemies. But you know what? Jesus didn't say we'd be known for that. What he did say is that we would be known as his disciples by the way we love each other. Well, that's not loving each other. Uh, you know, you can call you can call that standing up for, for sound doctrine, but no, that's not what that is. Uh, nobody advocated sin. We had a disagreement on how one should approach people who are who are involved in sin, and how far one should go uh, in in pursuing love and relationship with those people. That's what we have here, and it certainly ought not to be something that we uh, ostracize people and and disfellowship people for. And it, it very much disappoints me that we've come to that. Now, maybe I missed something. Maybe uh, maybe there were some things that he said that if I were steeped in all of the the, uh, the subtext uh, of, of the religious talk, maybe you know, maybe I missed something. But I don't think so. But I, but this, I really believe that this grieves our Lord. And it's, it, it's a perfect example uh, or, or an example of what not to do in the light of the prayer that we've been studying over these past few weeks uh, that Jesus prayed for his disciples and also for us in John chapter 17. His prayer for us, and he said it over and over again that we would be one. And several times after teaching them to love each other, he, he prayed this, that they'd be one. And he told us that we would be known as his disciples because we love each other. Well, I wish I could see more of that. But let's uh, let's go into the let's go into the text. Uh, it's the the conclusion as we've been studying of his final message to the disciples before he's about to be crucified. And this prayer expresses his heart for them and for us. And we're going to take and cover the, the last few verses of this prayer. And I want you to notice over and over again, three times in three verses, the call for oneness, the call for unity, but also the, and also the hope that one day we will be with him. And we will see him as he is, as John says in another place. So I'm going to start reading in, in verse 20 of chapter 17. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. 
Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them. And will make it known so that the love which you loved me may be in them. And I in them. Amen. <clears throat> and again, we see, and I've, I've been referring to this as we, as we go through the lesson here in verse 20, where he says, this, this is not just for the people that are sitting here with me. This is for everybody who's going to believe because of their word. And that's you and me. And the whole prayer really is applicable to us because Jesus came for us and his glory is in what he did for us. And we also are his disciples if we have made him Lord. Jesus here is just making official uh, what we know. We are those who have believed because of their word. And he prays that they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us. All three verses, he prays basically the same thing in, in using different words. He desires that we be in unity with each other. And he also desires that we be in unity with him and with the Father. It's not, and, and I read this, I've also been reading a book about the cults. And a lot of them will, will teach some version of we all get to be God. Or we all get to be like God. We, it's all one big thing. He's in everything and everyone and, and, and we're all, all of the false religions come to this, uh, in one way or another, come to this idea that you're actually the God. And, or, or you can get up to the point where you can be a God or be like God. And that takes us right back to Genesis, that takes us right back to uh, Satan's original temptation, uh, where he says, you'd be like God, knowing good and evil. It takes us back to, if we properly understand the story of how Satan came to be, he wanted to be like God. But his methods hasn't changed. He's still on that same story. So we're not being told here that we're going to become equal with him. But we are being told that there will come a day when we will be of one mind, of one heart, and of one purpose with him. Oh, that day cannot come fast enough. And note the reason. So that the world may believe that you sent me. 
So because we know that indeed, as Paul writes, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Philippians 2, 10, and 11. It's going to happen. God's prayer is going to be answered. Everyone is going to recognize that He is Lord. But this oneness is why He gave us His Holy Spirit. And the unity, the glory that He has given to us, or I mean, that is the reason He's given to us His Holy Spirit, but I misread my note here. It's the reason why He's given of His glory. Well, what is His glory? Well, His glory is in good works, uh, ours. You can see that in Matthew 5, uh, 16. The good works cause people to glorify the Father. Uh, the works that are done in His name, as He tells us in John uh, 14, 12 through 14, that we've studied, we bear fruit, and uh, we ask in His name and receive as we bear fruit, and it's for His glory. And it's his, it, is, uh, it is His glory, as He tells us earlier in this prayer. It is in the spiritual fruit that we produce. John 15, 8, and also 17, 10. It's by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, John 16, 14. And yes, it is in sacrifice. From the very beginning when Jesus was born, we find the angels giving God the glory. Jesus came in the flesh to glorify, and and, and as the disciples, as the people there saw him, they saw the glory of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is glorified in his sacrifice. John 12, 23 through 28, 13, 31, after Judas has left. And he says, now it's happening. Now I'm going to be glorified. Then he prays that they be perfected in unity. That the, wor- that the world may know that he has been sent and also that the Father loves us as he loves Jesus. That is incredible. That is so hard for me to even comprehend when I read that. How in the world is that even possible? Well, it's possible because his blood has purchased us, because his blood has cleansed us. No, we're not worthy of that on our own, but because of what he did, we are joint heirs with him. And yes, Almighty God can love you and be just as much. Folks, grab hold of that. Let that fill your being. Let that change your perspective on life. Let that 
animate everything you do. Your heavenly Father loves you just like He loves Jesus. When we suffer, I'm getting off script here, but when we suffer things, when things go wrong in our lives, when we're wondering, God, where are you? Remember this. He loves you that much. And if he, if he sent Jesus to the cross to die for us, might, that, might we t- take from that that he lets us go through some things because ultimately it's going to be for our best? Know that he does love you that much. And one day there will be ultimate unity. We'll be with him. We'll see him as he is. We'll see him in his glory. And he desires that. And he prays that here in verse 24. Only then will we be able to see him as he really is in all of his glory. And he affirms also his existence uh, before the before creation. The word was God, and the word the word was with God, and the word was God. And the goal, the goal is that we know the Father. He prays toward the end of this prayer. He prays, O righteous Father. Now, that sort of tripped me up the first time I saw it because I had been taught that a good way to think of righteousness is right standing with God. Well, then, if, if that's the definition of righteousness, how does... How is the Father righteous? He is God. Well, the Greek word there simply means just or equitable or fair. And so when we define righteousness as right standing with God, in, in our case, that's a good it's a good definition because we are uh, we're not him. Uh, because we uh, when we're walking uprightly and because of his blood, because of his purchase uh, of, our, uh, of us and the payment for our sins, we can stand in righteousness before God, in right standing. But the word just means just and fair and equitable. So, yes, applicable to, applicable to man, uh, we, we can say that. But it, it's also applicable to, to God in its original meaning. The Father is just. The Father is fair in His judgment between Christ's followers and the world. The world does not and cannot know Him, but Jesus knows Him completely. And He gives believers the ability to know Him too. He has made the Father known. He's made the Father's name known. In making His name known, He has revealed His character. He has revealed His authority. He has revealed His power. And He continues to make it known. The Holy Spirit reveals it to us. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us. It's the Holy Spirit that shows us who He is. 
And it's so that we will have and we will share his love. That he, through the Holy Spirit, is within us. And his action, his final action here at the cross, in just a few hours from this prayer, will make it possible. The, the price of this prayer will be the cross, but he paid it for you and me. It will be the, it is the certainty of his answer. When God prayed for you, you know the answer was yes. But he emphasized several times in this prayer the idea of unity. And don't you know that Almighty God knew what we would do? He warned against the false prophets. And this is a real problem. Uh, they've always been with us, and they're always going to be with us until Jesus comes back and sets things right. And it is, it is appropriate for us to lovingly correct error. I have no problem with the people who have stood up and, and said, I believe you're wrong about this. That's appropriate. And if we have somebody who is, uh, who's uh, continuing to flagrantly live in sin, uh, it's appropriate to deal with that. But always, always with love. And there's some things that we're just, we, we can't be so certain about that there's no room for disagreement. And really, uh, he also said, and going back to the whole uh, Alistair Begg controversy, he also said uh, in a different situation, I might have given different instructions. They were appropriate for that particular situation. We have disunified over just about everything that could be. This is just the latest thing. This is just the latest example. And, you know, this would probably, he called it a, you know, a, a tempest in a teacup or a storm in a teacup, I think he called it. Uh, it is a little thing, really, in the, in the grand scheme of things. But throughout our history, we have divided and made different sects and different groups of people uh, all over Sometimes very minor differences. Sometimes they're bigger differences. Uh, and I've, you know, I've always said truth exists. How, whether you believe it or not, or, or whether you know it or not, doesn't make it not true. And I hope that each and every one of us, the things that we, that we believe, I hope we really believe them. I hope that we're absolutely convinced that it's the truth. Uh, Otherwise, why believe it? Why bother believing if you don't believe it's the truth? But we need to have the discernment to know when it's okay, when, it, when it's, it's, it's not a big deal if somebody else doesn't agree that it's true. Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. Now, admittedly, in context, that Jesus is talking about, about 
Satan there. He's uh, responding to the Pharisees saying that he's using Satan, uh, Satan to cast out Satan. But the truth remains. When we're divided, we can't function. We are less effective when we're fighting among ourselves. Not to mention our witness is horrible. We're acting in a way that's absolutely opposite. This fellowship is the last resort. If you read in Matthew chapter 18, and we've gone through that before, how, uh, how to deal with somebody who's, who's sinning. And yes, there does come a time, there does come a time when this fellowship is appropriate. But even then, the, pur- the purpose of that, this fellowship is that eventually you hope that they come back. You're still, you're operating and you're praying. And at the end of that passage, actually, he talks about A, the need for forgiveness being absolutely uh, imperative, and B, uh, that he, he puts in there, if any two of you agree is touching anything on earth, it shall be done. That's right after that passage about how, about how to deal with somebody who's sinning. The implication there is that prayer is that we want him back. We've had to disfellowship for this period of time, but we want him back, and we're praying to that effect. It's always, the the purpose is always redemptive. There have been disagreements uh, throughout our history. The Bible even records some of them. Uh, At one point it records the the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over Mark, and they actually go their separate ways. But you know what? They They go their separate ways and they keep doing the work. And there is some uh, indication that maybe at some point later there was reconciliation on that on that score. But we are all to pursue the truth. We're going to disagree on exactly what that is, really, until he gets back and sets us all straight. We must hold to the scriptures as the source of truth. Even if we disagree sometimes about what they say. And yes, we should call out error when it's obviously error. But we've got to leave room for grace. Because we have been given grace. We've got to leave room for mercy because we have been given mercy. In fact, Jesus said... If you don't give mercy, you won't receive it. So that the world will know. When he returns, the world will know that we should be about showing them today. Are they all going to receive it? No, they're not all going to receive it. But we keep speaking the truth in love. And we live the truth by loving each other. And when we, when we fuss and fight, the world just sees people that are just like them. What good is that? Who wants to be a part of that? Get enough of that at home. Ultimately, ultimately though, we will, we will have unity. 
because Jesus' prayer will be answered. Look forward to that day. We're told to look forward to that day. It's okay to look forward to that day. Be excited about it. Look to it with anticipation. Because it will come. Make sure, one final warning, make sure to be among those whom he has called his own when that day comes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you called us. Thank you that you spilled your blood so that we would be able to be one, so that we would be able to be a part of your family. Lord, help us to know you and to help others to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.